You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, but the Lakers have two. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. I'm Aaron Fishman. Thanks for tuning in to this week's interview show, where my brother and I talk with the terrific Josh Baumgart about the intriguing Miami Heat. Josh spent five years at WQAM Miami Sports Radio, primarily covering the Heat and the Dolphins. He's currently the editor of Slice Media, an independent and opinionated home for Miami sports and culture. After the Heat won the title in 2012, Roni Turioff poured a full beer on his head. While his hair has never been the same, we're fortunate that his reporting is just as strong. Let's begin. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure to be here. I'm uh, glad to talk some Heat basketball and some uh, sanity. (laughs) Yeah, we're excited about it too. The Heat are a pretty solid team in the East, and somehow we haven't yet found a way to focus on them this year, but we're finally doing it. And one thing that I think is a clear deficiency for them is their inconsistency against teams 500 and better. They're 14 and 18 against those teams. They dominate the below 500 teams of the league where they're 15 and 6. But how fixable is that deficiency in your mind? I think a big part of the issue so far, guys, has been, uh, and thanks for having me, it's been really health, chemistry, and also a bizarre roster construction. I mean, going into the season, I think everybody had high hopes for this team, including myself, including Pat Riley, Eric Spolcher, because they're talented, really talented. If you looked at the roster, 1 through 12, yeah, uh, their, their bench seemed to be their strength uh, going into the year. Injuries kind of derailed them early. Josh McRoberts has been his fragile self. So they've had a tough time like getting some chemistry going, especially with the, with the weird roster complexion of you have Dwayne Wade and Goran Dragic, who both aren't typically... I mean, Dragic is a decent shooter, but he's not a, considered a legit shooter by any means. And then you have Wade, one of the worst three-point shooting guards ever. And you have Whiteside, so there's not a lot of spacing. Luol Deng's been down. So I think chemistry's have been, been a big issue with that. And also just injuries. Tyler Johnson's their best three-point shooter, and he's down for what could be the season. Yeah, it's been tough. Hassan Whiteside is a guy I definitely want to talk about. The post-LeBron Heat found a diamond in the rough in him, definitely. He's easily leading the league in blocks at 3.9 a game, with the next guy at somewhere around 2.3. He has clear strengths, and, and definitely areas for improvement. Can you touch on those? while also explaining why this offseason is such a pivotal moment for the future of the Heat with his impending free agency? I mean, here's the thing. is He, he could be gone in the next two weeks. That's what's crazy. I mean, here's a guy that's kind of reminiscent of a very poor man's, I don't know, David Robinson slash Alonzo Mourning in that he could be a two-way force. He's a shot-blocking machine. I mean, the strengths are obvious. He's just a rim-protecting giant. He's super athletic. He's a rim deterrent. When he's not out there, it's it's open season on the rim. So you like him defensively. And defensively, he should be 
I know he's got some things to learn as far as when to go for blocks, when to stay home, when to hold his ground, keep his arms up, and not necessarily go for the block all the time. But he has all the makings of a, a top five, top ten defensive player. Offensively is where he has a lot of work to do. I mean, the jumper is okay. We saw it a little last night before he got ejected. And uh, that goes into another weakness. It's his patience on the court. It's not letting his emotions get the best of him. I mean, last night he threw a, a vicious elbow at, at Boban and almost yeah. took his head off and got kicked out. They sent him home. I mean, he lives right across the street wow. from the arena. So I don't know if we've ever heard of that. You know, an NBA player, like, not sent to the locker room. Like, <laughs> get out of here. Go home. Go sit in the corner. Uh, no PlayStation. No TV. Like, that kind of thing. <laughs> he got a timeout. Exactly, you got a timeout. But offensively, I mean, he's got some moves in the post. That's a, another thing is people don't think about him as an offensive force. But, I mean, he's within five feet, he's going to throw it down on your head. Uh, he's got some post moves. But his one major issue offensively is passing out of the double team and setting screens. The two major issues, actually. And that's something I think that's plagued the team. And it, and it reflects in his on-court, off-court numbers and how efficient they are with him on and off the court. Yeah, I think that's a great point, too, about the passing. And you see it in the stats. Even though we don't expect big men to put up big assist numbers, his are remarkably low. And you talked about the plus-minus with him on and off the court. And so I think that leads people to, in my opinion, unfairly say that he puts up empty stats. To what extent do you think that's kind of a ridiculous assertion about him? Uh, I mean, it's it's really weird. He's such an enigma because there are certain advanced stats that, that hate his game. You know, there's certain sites that have the on-court, on-court off-court plus-minus. I think one of them was NBA.com. They showed that he might have been actually been better defensively with him off the court. But then you look at these, these other advanced stats where he's ninth in PER. He's 11th in uh, defensive real plus-minus. He's first in basketball references defensive rating. So there's a, quite a discrepancy with him. I think when it's so unbalanced as far as the metrics, I think you have to throw them out and just look at him. You have to say, does he pass the eye test? Watch him, see what he does, because there's a lot of shortcomings with all these stats. None of them are perfect, and you can kind of paint a picture when you put them all together, but clearly they're telling a conflicting story. So you got to watch him. I, I, that's really the best way to get a feel for Hassan, because I don't think stats, whether they're basic, advanced, or whatever, really tell – a complete story. That's a good point, Josh. Josh here. Don't get confused, listeners. <laughs> Talk about the elite defense that the Miami Heat boast. They're sixth in defensive rating. And outside of Whiteside's rim protection, how has the team-wide defense risen to this level? They're also playing well when he sits. Yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, the biggest thing is, and it's amazing because he's only 19, but it's Justice Winslow. Just putting the clamps on the perimeter. He's been a defensive menace from day one. I remember going back to the second game of the season, and they threw him on LeBron. And LeBron torched him. I think he put up 30. He had a highly efficient game. But Winslow still played great defense. He made him take tough shots, and LeBron was just hitting him because he's an all-time great. But Winslow has been a, a huge surprise early on. I don't think anybody expected him to be this good this soon as far as on the defensive end. Obviously, he's got some work to do offensively, but yeah, Winslow's been a big part of that. I mean, he has some veteran guys that are smart. Chris Bosh, very underappreciated, especially on the defensive end. He defends the pick and roll as good as anybody. He might be the prototypical big man in today's NBA in that he can stretch the court, 
uh, defend the pick and roll. He's smart, high basketball IQ. So uh, points of Bosch and Winslow is a big key to that. Luol Ding's obviously a good defender. Dwayne Wade can still defend when he wants to, although that's nearly Usually as not. much of the case. <laughs> yeah. You just brought up Justice Winslow and how amazing he already is on defense. Aside from that, can you give us an evaluation of, of the rookie out of Duke? Yeah, I mean, I think he's got a lot to learn offensively, but the good thing is he has a good feel for the game. He knows when to pass, he knows when to shoot, when to move the ball, when to set screens. He's getting a lot better at knowing when to uh, cut to the rim. And his shooting's actually been improving of late. He was shooting, and there was an eight-game stretch a little while ago before he's missed his last four threes where he was shooting over 50% from three. So it's there, but he obviously it's something he needs to work on and, and continue to develop because if he can't hit that three ball, it's going to really limit the Heat's offense, and it's going to make him more of a uh, uh, kind of plug-and-play utility guy instead of a focal point. But there's a lot to like with this game, and, and it all starts with the D. Yeah, it should be really exciting to see how Winslow develops. He's so young still. Yeah, he's 19. That, that's the craziest part about this whole thing because he's playing big minutes for a team that hopes to contend 28 minutes a game, and he's 19 years old, so... They really lucked into him. I've heard comparisons of him to Kawhi Leonard, and if you're a Heat fan, that's got to be exciting. <laughs> it's got to be, but he's got a long ways to go, offensively at least, to be in yeah, the same conversation. Certainly. But yeah, there's some similarities there because, I mean, Kawhi, was, he's been a lockdown defender for a while, and but he actually shot the ball pretty well in San Antonio. They really developed him offensively. It'll be interesting to see if he can kind of make that similar uh, trajectory. Joshua, before you jump in with your next question, I just wanted to say that obviously we know that it's too early for Kawhi Leonard comparisons. You can't really compare him to anyone, but Kawhi Leonard struggled with his shot at San Diego State and early on, so it will be interesting to see if Winslow can improve from the perimeter. For sure, and I think he has the, the skills to do so. I mean, he shot over 40% from three at Duke in his one season, so I think that's probably better than Kawhi ever did in college. So, I mean, he has it in him. I think a big part of it is adjusting the three-point line, realizing that in college you could have two seconds to get that ball off, or in the NBA, if you hesitate, that opening's no longer there. Right. So that's a, big, that's a big part of it. But I don't think he's fundamentally broken, as some people think. I just think he needs to refine some things, maybe get the ball off quicker, uh, adjust his base a little bit, but... Yeah, I expect him to develop there because he's going to work hard. He's not one of these kids you're worrying about tailing off or getting paid and, and kind of lowering his work ethic. You could tell he, he loves the game and he wants to be great. So the Eastern Conference is pretty wide open this season. The Heat, even after losing two in a row, are only one and a half games out of that third slot. With the current East landscape, what do you think realistic goals are for this team? I mean, it's tough. You know, I think it's clear that they're not the contender they thought they'd be, even at full strength. You know, they, they have a lot of things to work out. They haven't really gotten Goran Dragic going like they, they want to. And part of that is because uh, Dwayne Wade's still the guy that's using most of the possessions on offense. But, I, I mean, I think realistically they're a, I'd say, they're probably a three to five seed in the East as far as quality as far as whether they can contend. Now, once they get to the playoffs, obviously they have a huge advantage because they've got a lot of guys that have been there before. And I think that'll play, factor nicely. I think they can beat anybody out of Cleveland in the East in a series. But unless they make a, a major move 
uh, as this trade deadline comes up. I, I don't think they have nearly enough shooting to, to really go deep in the postseason. It's like almost you're looking at my script, Josh. That was my exact <laughs> next question. You spoke of possibilities for trades. They're ranking right now 28th in the league in three-point percentage. They're converting less than a third of their attempts. Definitely not what you want, especially in today's NBA. And they don't it, attempt very many. That, but maybe that's best because they can't really make them. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> um, I'm curious, do they have the assets to execute a trade like that or, or the will at this point right now? Uh, Riley always has the will. That's one thing I will never ever question with Pat you know he's always willing to make a move and he's willing to sacrifice the future to get it so I don't I mean I don't think that means trading a Justice Winslow unless you're getting a superstar talent along the lines of a Boogie Cousins in return which isn't realistic at this point but I could see him trading Whiteside if in his heart he knows that he's not that the Heat organization isn't willing to give a guy like that a hundred million dollars in the offseason so then you say well what can Whiteside uh, net you because he's on an expiring contract. He's getting paid a million dollars a year. Is is there other trades that can work out? And I, I mean, I think everybody plays around, has a lot of fun with the trade machine. That I've certainly uh, played around with a few. But Tom Haberstory is PN brought up a very interesting scenario where the deal would be Ryan Anderson for Luol Deng and Hassan Whiteside, and with the premise kind of being New Orleans could be kind of appetized at the fact of having Whiteside and Anthony Davis together defensively, and maybe they can convince him to stay long-term, whereas the Heat gets their stretch four, gives them automatic spacing overnight. So I thought that was a very interesting deal. Who knows whether either team has any interest, but it's certainly fun to play around with. Yeah, it's interesting what they'll do with Whiteside, because it could compromise their chances of keeping Wade or going after some superstar. I know it might be unrealistic, but people are talking about Kevin Durant possibilities as well. So you definitely want to keep your options open, even though Whiteside is a, a tremendous young player. They're also ranking 29th in pace, the John Hollinger statistic. For what it's worth, Cleveland's 28th. Do you think the Heat are now too slow, really, to push it with Mario Chalmers gone? I know last year pushing the pace was a huge priority for Eric Spolstra. Yeah, I mean, pace numbers might not always reflect the true speed of the game for these guys because even in the LeBron years, they didn't play at a very fast pace, but they were still just dominant in transition. Yeah. So they were a great transition team. They were good on the run, but the pace numbers didn't necessarily reflect that for whatever reason, whether they, they wanted to slow things down and get the most efficient shot possible. But yeah, that's something they definitely want to play faster because that plays into Goran Dragic's game. But the thing is, you still have Dwayne Wade. And, and Dwayne Wade, while he's still good in transition, he has that Euro step, and he can still throw it down every now and then. He's not playing at the pace that Dragic likes to play at. And then you have Hassan Whiteside, too. And I just don't think they have the personnel to be one of those teams that's going to fly up and down the court. But you look at their defense and how good it's been, and you think that would be a way to get easier points if they just ramped up the pace a little bit. And we've seen it recently. They're definitely making an effort to try to push the ball up the court, but I'm just not sure that's in their overall identity. On a team full of veterans with deep playoff and championship experience, who's the leader of the team? Would you say it's Dwayne Wade or Bosch? Is it a leadership by committee? I think it's a, a by committee thing, but I, I think it's Wade and Bosch together. I mean, those two have have been here for a while, have been there the longest outside of uh, Haslam. Obviously, he was there before Bosch came. 
But yeah, it's Wade and Bosch. It's their show. And while I think Bosch is the premier player on the team and that Dwayne's taken a step back a little bit, it's still Wade's show. You know, he's, he's using the most. I think he's top 10 in the league in usage. He's using a ton of possessions. The ball is in his hands more than anybody else. Whether that's a good idea, it's quite dubious. But yeah, it's definitely Wade and Bosch's show and more of it leaning on Wade. I mean, I think if, if this team gets in the playoffs as they should, he's going to lead them in attempts. He's going to lead them in usage. And that could ultimately be their downfall. And off the court, is Haslam the leader? I think Haslam is their leader in a, uh, a street brawl. Because like, I don't <laughs> think anybody's taking Haslam out. He is... He might be little. I mean, he's only like six, 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 seven, probably two hundred and twenty-five pounds. But that is the baddest dude in the NBA. One guy I would never, ever, ever want to mess with. Yeah, it's funny because someone who doesn't watch the NBA would not think that that's little at all. But for a <laughs> power forward, that's that's pretty tiny. Right, right. I mean, he's listed at six eight. He's probably closer to six six, six seven. But he he's got that old man strength where he could probably hang with. Dwight Howard in a fight. Like, he's that mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet he'd destroy Dwight Howard in a fight. Yeah, I'm not sure there's any guys in the NBA that could take him in just an all, a street brawl. Because uh, he is, you got to have nasty, and, and he has it, but he's a great guy. He's, he's super nice, always nice uh, interacting with the media, but better not cross him or cross any of his buddies, or else uh, your, your head's going to hit the pavement. <laughs> Switching to a guy who probably won't get into too many too many fights, Goran Dragic, you mentioned him earlier. I wonder if he's a good fit for the team. In the wins, he scores a lot less, but his passing is a lot more efficient. Maybe the key for him is to just distribute more and shoot less? What do you think? I think the key is to ramp up his usage at the cost of weight. And that's I'm not sure that's something that Wade's ready to give up. I'm not sure that's something that Eric Spolstra can control. But here's a guy you invested a lot of money in this summer. He's younger at 29, and he's a really good player, and I don't think anybody knows it because of how he's being utilized. You know, I think the ball needs to be in his hands a lot more. I think he needs to be the primary facilitator and not Wade. I think Wade kind of needs to take that Manu Ginobili role, uh, maybe even come off the bench. But you really have to optimize Goran Dragic because he's your future. And people can say he might not fit necessarily, but I think it's up to the Heat to make pieces fit around him. Because I think the core is you have Bosch, Dragic, Winslow, uh, hopefully Whiteside. Obviously, Wade is always going to be a focal point. He's probably not going anywhere, but they really need to adapt because Wade throws a lot of mid-range jumpers up. As you guys were saying earlier, they don't shoot a lot of threes. And when, when you keep throwing twos and San Antonio and Golden State's throwing back threes, and they might not make as many, but they're going to blow you off the court. And that's how you see games like last night where they shoot a high percentage and they still get blown out. And I think Goran would help that. If you build the offense around him, bring in another shooter or two, space the floor, I think that'll open things up. Perhaps the most fascinating part of, about the Heat this season is their lefty-heavy lineup. They have seven lefties on the roster, <laughs> by far the most in the league this season, probably the most ever. Uh, so what extent has this caused any problems for league defenses or alternatively for Spolstra when devising rotations? Uh, well, I mean, clearly it hasn't had that much of an impact because they still rank stinky in offensive efficiency. But <laughs> right. I didn't even realize it was seven. That's a lot. I know they had a bunch. And they but, had Beasley uh, last season, and he's gone. Yeah, yeah. maybe they need to bring him back instead <laughs> of uh, Gerald Green. That would be entertaining, you know, <laughs> bring the Beast back. But, yeah, he did some not-so-good things before he left town. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think it factors in. I think it's something that's interesting, and I think opponents might get caught off guard a possession here, a possession there, but I don't know if it's truly impactful over the course of the season. One particular lefty definitely deserves more time here, and that's Chris Bosch. He seemed to recover beautifully from not only a career-threatening illness, but a life-threatening one with the blood clot. If you don't mind, just give us more context and, and details on how he's handled that. I think it's just an amazing story. It really is. And I mean, even saw it on Heat Media Day where he's just smiling ear to ear. Everything always brings a smile. He's enjoying life. And it's great to see because, yeah, blood clot's a serious thing. It could have killed him. And he's a great guy to be around. I think he's one of the uh, most honest, genuine interviews in the NBA. Uh, he's a good dude too. He's one of those guys you could just tell, uh, like media around or not. Like he's a good guy, and uh, it's great to see him bounce back like this. And I mean, you can make a case that he's one of the best two or three bigs in the Eastern Conference. The way the game's going with the spread five, and and that's something that he might want to look at him playing more five if they do. Obviously, part ways with Whiteside, whether it be at the deadline or into the summer. But if I'm Bosch, I want him to shoot more threes. You know, that, that's how, I'd rather Bosch shoot a contested three than Wade shoot a contested long two or, or Dragic throwing up in, into double coverage or something like that. I think they need more Bosch. I think he needs to be a little more assertive, get his shot attempts up. They're at 14 and a half right now. I, I think the Heat, they got to be at 18, 19. He's got to be the man there. Wow, that's a big change, but I think he's definitely capable of doing it if they're able to to get him the shots. I don't know, don't you think there may not be enough shots to go around, at least with how it's going with Wade and, and uh, Whiteside demands some when he's close to the basket? It seems like there would have to be significant changes for that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I just think that like he's such an efficient player and he can beat you so many different ways. Yeah. If somebody's going to force it. Give it to Bosch, and I don't think he takes enough attempts. Because, but yeah, to your point, the way this team is constructed, they need to play true team ball to beat the good teams, and they have to move the ball around, they have to swing it, they have to keep moving their bodies, constant movement, and that's something that they haven't really done on, on a consistent basis. I hate to bring this up about a player's health, knock on wood, but Dwayne Wade has been healthy for the first time in five seasons for the entire year. It's, it's just halfway through, but that's so important, I think, for the team. Obviously, their starting lineup is pretty deep. They have some solid subs, but how integral is his health to this team's continued success? It's weird because Wade's been on a tear recently. He's had some very, very efficient games, but his presence, I'm not sure if his overall presence on the court is as impactful as his raw numbers suggest. Because defensively, he's not the same guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he gambles a lot. Okay. He doesn't always put in that effort as far as getting back on defense and and so forth. But, I mean, he's had a good stretch. He played really well last night. Uh, yeah, it's great to see, though. They need him healthy. I think Wade would be at his best with this team if they just lowered the usage, even the minutes, a little more. Lower the shot attempts. Be more of an off-ball cutter. Uh, do your damage in the post, play solid defense, take a little bit of the load off of him offensively, and I think this team would benefit. But yeah, they definitely need him to make noise. There's no question about that. It's just a a matter of their expulsion, really optimizing the roles of his players. Can you speak to the short-term and long-term effects of the Mario Chalmers trade? He was a very popular player with the fans and teammates too. He won two championships in Miami, 
he's just a winner, one in college too. Yeah, I mean, Mario was always interesting because he'd make an amazing play and then he'd follow it up with just a complete boneheaded one, <laughs> whether it's fouling a guy shooting a three or one foul away from the bonus, he takes a guy's head off by the neck. It like, sounds like just, Whiteside a little bit too, right? Yeah, a little bit. It was almost too much with both of them on the court at the same time. But, I mean, I always have love for Mario. You know, I think I appreciated his game from an entertainment standpoint. Now, I'm not sure it was super impactful, but he certainly does things in today's game that you need, whether it's a shooting, perimeter defense. He's got really quick hands. And right now, they definitely miss him a little bit. Uh, I think a big thing was because Tyler Johnson went down, and they're, they're missing him badly. So, they, yeah, they could use Rio right now. It's going to be so hard to replace Mario Chalmers' half-court shooting. I don't know yes. how to do it. <laughs> exactly. That, that's the toughest part. But, yeah, uh, I miss that kid dearly. I see he's doing some, some decent things out in Memphis. Oh, yeah. Especially when he first started out in Memphis. He was hitting threes like crazy. I, I didn't even recognize the guy. Yeah, he's a guy that he'll give you great moments and he'll give you terrible moments. He's not that even-keeled role player. He's the uh, volatile and consistent one. Yeah, he definitely brings heart to whichever team he's playing for, that's for sure. For sure. Josh McRoberts was alluded to a little bit earlier. He's healthy now, supposedly, but he hasn't really been reintegrated into the rotation. Coach Spolstra has said that he's trying to do that, and that should be coming up soon. Do you think that that's something that we should believe? His minutes really have been not there that much lately. Yeah, I mean, he's, since he's gotten back from injury, it's been very bizarre because he, he went for a few games where he played a decent amount, and he played 11 last night, but he didn't play the previous two. And there's no question that if healthy, they're a lot better with him on the court than Amari Stoudemire. They're a lot better with him on the court, probably even more than Hassan Whiteside, just because McRoberts, he doesn't need the ball to be successful on offense. You know, he's a guy that's always looking to pass almost to a fault. But the way his unselfish nature is, they need more of that, and they really need him. They, they really do. I, I know his shooting hasn't been there. His percentages have been way down. But he's a very skilled player, and, and they really need him to make an impact. But at this point, you can't depend on him because obviously there's something that's just not right physically. Before we let you go and have a good time walking your dog, I want to just ask, is there anything that hasn't really been talked that much around the national media about the Heat that you think it would be important for NBA fans to know, or just something that's kind of under the radar that doesn't really get that much publicity? Yes, for all, for all the folks nationally that call the Heat fans bandwagon, I have some statistics that should pulverize uh, that notion. They actually rank fifth this year in local NBA TV ratings, which is unbelievable to say the least because you think that would tail off a lot because I mean they weren't even a playoff team last year they've been up and down and inconsistent this year and they also rank third in attendance based on percentage filled third in attendance so I know people see all those empty seats as the game start but in, in, in actuality they're just at the bar getting a drink before they get in you know so that's something there's a, a misconceived notion that Heat fans aren't loyal and that they don't I mean, this is a basketball town now, Miami, let's face it. So I, I think they uh, get a bad rap in that regard, and they, they deserve a pat on the back in the post-LeBron era. Just a quick question. Does Amare Sotomayor continue starting, do you think? Um, it depends how much, how many wine baths he takes from here on out. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's a, that's a 
big, big part of it. No, I think his uh, his days of starting are, are over or close to it because while he can give you something in a 10-minute spurt, 15-minute spurt over the course of the game, if he's playing major minutes and he's playing a major role at this point in his career, you're in trouble. Josh, it's really been a pleasure. You're such a nice guy and so knowledgeable about the team providing all these fascinating details and behind-the-scenes stuff that I don't know where we could get otherwise. You are hey, I, not a benign knucklehead. <laughs> <laughs> not like Hassan Whiteside. Hassan, <laughs> man, he's making the season entertaining, and I really appreciate the, the, the kind words, and it's been great.